So today's reading is Genesis 49, starting in verse 29. Then he, Jacob, gave them these instructions. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abram brought, uh, bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abram and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittite. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in, my, in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he has made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why this place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. And after burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place, uh, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, 
the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Makur, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the student minister. I'm very warm welcome to you. Let's pray um, as we look at this passage, as we wrap up Jacob's story, Joseph's story, and, and the whole of Genesis. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for your word. We praise you that it's timeless truths speak into the reality of our lives, even, uh, even today. Father, please would you uh, show us uh, what it means uh, to trust in your good sovereign care uh, of us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When, um, when do you find it hardest to trust that God is in control? When do you find it hardest to trust that God is in control of all the things in our lives, of the big things and of the small things? For some of us, um, it will be the big things that we find it hard to, to trust that God is in control of. Um, it'll be when we face um, uh, big crises like, like ill health, or we've got big decisions to make about um, family life or career. Um, it, it, for some of us, it'll be the things that take us by surprise. We wonder, what is God doing uh, as he lets th- these things happen to us? Is he really in control? And maybe we, we panic or we worry, we fret. And for others of us, it'll be more in the, in the small details of life that we, we find it hard to trust that God is in control. So what will happen tomorrow morning uh, when your whole morning routine is thrown out by, I don't know, the kids losing their new school shoes, or the delay on the tube, or the Extinction Rebellion uh, protest that you've got to get round somehow, whatever it is, the, the unexpected frustrations of the day. Each of us will struggle in different ways to trust that God is in control of the big things and the small things. So as we uh, wrap up Joseph's story this week, um, the whole story is, is summed up in Joseph's words to his brothers in chapter 50 and verse 20. That's, that's where we'll mainly be focused. Where Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That is a, that is a summary of the whole story of Joseph's life, that God is in control that he has been working out his good plans and purposes for Joseph and for all of God's people. God has been in control, we've seen over the weeks, of the big things, uh, of, of the family dynamics, of the infighting, of the murder plots, of the false accusations and unjust imprisonments, of the workings of national governments, of natural disasters like famine, 
God is in control of all of it. God has also been in control as we've gone through. He's been in control of all the little things, all the small details that have had to fall in place for God to get Joseph where he wanted him to be. So just uh, as you think back on the story of Joseph, just think of some of the small details that God had to be in charge of. The, the, the exact route and timing of those Midianite traders who were just passing so that Joseph's brothers thought, no, let's not leave him here, let's sell him. God was in control of, of, of the, the layout and the placement of, of prisoners in Joseph's cell so that he was near, could interact with the cupbearer and the baker who he'd interpret the dream for. God has been in control of every single detail in Joseph's life. God is sovereign and in control. Um, at confession time, um, Sharon and I on Friday night went to see Joseph and, uh, and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, uh, we thought it was appropriate. It's also wrapping up its run in the West End. We're finishing our series in Joseph. They're finishing their series in, in Joseph. Um, it is, it, I don't know what you think of musical theater. I quite enjoy uh, a bit of musical theater, but even I find Joseph a bit much. Like it's, it, just, it just comes at you and it just keeps coming at you. Color, lights. So, I mean, almost every song is cheery, even the ones where they're like being like thrown into prison. Everything, it, it's, it's a bit much. Anyway, but why do I tell you that? Um, uh, because um, they get lots of the details of the story actually quite right. They, it's, it's a fairly faithful account um, as musical theater goes. But the, the thing that they completely miss, that it completely misses, is God's sovereign control of the whole thing. So as the narrative moves on, it, it's all sort of, it all sort of happens, I don't know, by, by musical magic. Um, that, that everything falls into place. There's no sense that God is in control. And yet, as you read the, the, the account in Genesis, you cannot miss that God is in control. Joseph has learned um, that lesson, and he'll teach it to us uh, this morning in his declaration. We can trust in God's sovereign rule and care over us in the big things and in the small things, in the ups and the downs of life, he is in control, and he is working out his plans and purposes for the good of his people. So that's where we're going this morning. Um, we'll see the big headline is that God is sovereign to bring about his good plans. God is sovereign to bring about his good plans. And then we'll look more closely at what those good plans are. They are the fulfillment of his promise to save and the transformation of our characters. So the big headline, God is sovereign to bring about his good plans. We're focusing mainly on, on that little section in the middle of uh, chapter 50, verses 15 uh, to 21. And as the story wraps up, even the way that, that, that this passage is structured, the little details that it gives us, it shows us that God has been in control from the very beginning. If you compare it with chapter 37, where Joseph's story began, um, there are so many uh, connections in, in those two passages. So in, in chapter 37, verse 2, Joseph had lived for 17 years with his father in Canaan. By the time we get to chapter 47, verses 28, Jacob has lived for 17 years in Egypt with his son. In 37, um, 3 to 9, Joseph dreams that his brothers will bow down to him. In chapter 50, verse 18, the brothers do that. They fall on their face before Joseph. 
3728, and the brothers sell Joseph as a slave. 5018, the brothers offer themselves as Joseph's slave. 3748, the brothers hate Joseph. 50 verse 15, the brothers fear that Joseph will hate them. Chapter 37, verse 4, the brothers speak, cannot speak a kind word to Joseph. Chapter 50, verse 21, Joseph speaks kindly to them. What is the point of all those details? It is showing us that there are no loose ends when God is in control. There are no loose ends in this story of Joseph's life. Nothing is an accident or a coincidence under God's sovereign control. We saw it, we haven't had it read, we've skipped through, but chapter 49, you see it. You see God's sovereign control as, as Jacob blesses his sons, as God protects his chosen family from, from the harm that the brothers will bring, as he chooses to bless Judah as the king. We see it in, in the second half of chapter 49, the first half of chapter 50, as, as Jacob is honored by the Egyptians. Now, as Jacob dies, as we get to um, chapter 50, and Jacob dies, where have God's promises gone? Are God's promises all going to unravel before our eyes? Will Joseph now choose to take his revenge on his brothers? Read with me um, from uh, verse 15 of chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they went to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Here are Joseph's brothers standing before him. 17 years they have experienced Joseph's kindness in Egypt. He has loved them and cared for them, provided for them. And yet they are terrified that now with their father out of the way, Joseph will take his revenge. Even as, as they appeal for forgiveness, um, it, it flows out of, of a fabrication, I think. They, they feel the need to put some words in Jacob's mouth because they don't trust that Joseph loves them. I think that's what we're to make of, uh, of, of what's going on here because Joseph's weeping, uh, I think it, it, it is a, a weeping of, of hurt. After all those years of kindness, the brothers still don't trust that, Jake, that Joseph loves them. How will Joseph respond? Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Here's Joseph's great declaration of how he understands his own story how God has been at work throughout his life. Again, as we've seen time and time again, he trusts that God has been in sovereign control. 
Yes, the brothers intended to harm him as they sold him into slavery. They made that decision to sell him that day. It is a decision that they are responsible for. And yet, God is in control and intended it for good. God is in sovereign control to work out his good plans. What are those good plans that God intends? What are those good plans? Two things, the fulfillment of his promise to save and the transformation of our characters. Firstly, then, the fulfillment of his promise to save. Verse 19 again, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. See, God's plan all along was that one day Joseph would be in a position to be able to save his family. Not in spite of what his family had done, but because of it. Because they had sold him into slavery, he ended up in Egypt, in the household of of Potiphar. He ends up in prison. He ends up in the position of second in the whole of Egypt at Pharaoh's right hand so that he could coordinate and oversee the rescue plan from the famine. Otherwise, if God had not done that, if all those things had not worked out, the family, Joseph's own family, would have starved to death in Canaan. The promises of God, gone. God had a big picture plan that neither Joseph nor the brothers knew about. They couldn't have known it. It looked on the surface like their brother's intention to harm Joseph had, had come to pass, had come to fruition. Joseph as a slave. But God's intention was to save the whole family through Joseph. God is working out his plans, the, the, the good that he intends, the fulfillment of his promise to save. And it is, it is the same for us today. It is as true for us as it was for Joseph. People will often harm us intentionally, sometimes even those that are closest to us, those that should care for us the most. And the Bible does not say that those things are good. It doesn't say that they please God. They don't. But God works out his good plans, even in the midst of harm and sin and evil of others. And we're very rarely given, given a, a big picture um, sweep of that. We're very rarely given the details of how God's plans will work out for us. And yet the story of Joseph is given to us that we might trust that God is in control, that he is working out his plans to save. How can we be so certain of that? How can we be so certain that God is working out his plans? Well, just as God was in control of every detail of Joseph's life, his suffering, his exaltation to save his family, so God is also in control of Jesus' suffering and exaltation to save. Joseph has, has been a little window into Jesus' work many times through his story, but he's never more like Jesus than here as he achieves salvation through his suffering. 
Let me fast forward, take you into Acts chapter 2, back into the New Testament, where Peter says this in speaking to the crowd about the work of Jesus. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Do you see what Peter is saying there? Even the most brutal injustice ever committed, as the Lord Jesus was nailed to a cross, even that act was under the sovereign control of God. It is his plan and foreknowledge. And if God, if God ordained that event to fulfill his promise to save his people, there is nothing, nothing in our lives, nothing in this world that is outside of his control, his good control. And that is much better, isn't it, than the alternative. Evil is not out of control. And evil that has been done against us is within the bounds of God's sovereign rule. That may make us wonder often um, why God would ordain certain things to happen. But that is better than the reality of, of, of evil being out of control, out of God's control. When you experience real evil, real suffering, you need to know that. If, if you're an Afghan Christian today, you need to know that nothing is outside of God's control. The Taliban may be in, in power in Afghanistan. That may mean all sorts of um, evil against you, but it does not mean that God has relinquished his control. And for us, when we doubt... God's good plans for us. Maybe here, like, like Joseph's brothers, even after experiencing time and time again God's kindness and faithfulness to us, when we doubt that, we can remember that he gave his son for us. We remember that Jesus went willingly to the cross for you. And so no matter what, what circumstances you face today, tomorrow, he is in control, and he is working out his plans for good to save. That still leaves us with the question, doesn't it? Why did God not do it a different way? Why does God not do it a different way in our lives? He could have saved his, um, uh, Joseph's family without Joseph's suffering. Yeah, he, he, he could have done that, but that would miss um, the second good intention that God has for us. The second good that God intends, which is the transformation of our characters, the transformation of our characters. See, God uses the suffering of this world under his sovereign control to shape and change us. We've seen that, that sort of transformation all the way through Joseph's story. We've seen it in his brother Judah, who went from the brother selling um, adulterer to being the one who, who offers his own freedom for his younger brother. 
And we've seen that transformation through suffering in Joseph. At the beginning of, of the story, he, he, he was essentially a selfish brat, proudly boasting that his brothers would one day bow down to him. But through his suffering, God has refined him, made him gracious, able to forgive instead of judging and punishing his brothers. Joseph has had many opportunities to, to despair and when things have gone badly, to become bitter and harsh. But in God's sovereign care, control, and those things have, those sufferings have made Joseph willing to forgive. He's able here to, to calm his brother's fears and speak kindly to them. Joseph equally could, could easily have become proud through his successes, now that he's made it. But he trusts here in the God who has been with him the whole time, in whose hand his whole life has been lived, the good and the bad. God is at work in the circumstances of our lives, just as he's been at work in the circumstances of Joseph's life, to transform us to be more like his son, Jesus. Look at um, Romans 8 from verse 28, famous words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For, God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. They're well-known verses, easy to rattle off. And yet, do you see in those verses the good that God intends to work out in the lives of his people? Not just good in a, in a sort of general sense, certainly not comfort or prosperity, not a life without troubles. But verse 29, the good that God intends for us is that we might be conformed to the image of his son. The good that God is working out in us, even in suffering, is that we would become more like Jesus. So when life gets hard, when life is hard, when you wonder what on earth God is doing in the circumstances you find yourself, if you're a Christian, you can trust that even in the craziest circumstances, God is working to make you more like Jesus. That doesn't, that doesn't nullify suffering. It doesn't necessarily make it easier. But it does give it an end goal, a purpose. And it is not meaningless. It is not random. And it bears fruit in your life that will endure for all eternity. That is true, not just, not just in the extreme things, the sort of life-changing events. It's true equally in, in the lesser things, the things that we'll face tomorrow morning as we try and get kids to school, as we try and get back into work patterns. It is true of every little part of our lives. Not one part of our life is outside of God's control. So when, when you face the, the unexpected um, in this next week, whether it's just inconvenient or heartbreaking, you can say to yourself, I'd encourage you to say to yourself in that moment, God is in control. He is working out his good plans to save and to transform. 
You can trust him, whatever tomorrow brings, or the day after that, you can trust him. He is good. He is in sovereign control. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you know the circumstances of each one of our lives, the circumstances we face today, and the circumstances that we will face tomorrow. And Father, we praise you that that in the midst of, of anything that life throws at us, we can trust in your sovereign care of us. Your promise that you are working out your plans and purposes to save and to make us more like Jesus. Father, please, would, would, you, would you give us faith in that promise that we might hold on to it today and in the coming days, whatever life brings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.